And I even look at things sometimes like, man, if, if I was reading Marvel then, how much further would I be along as, as some sort of artist? Could you, could I get you to call my parents and say that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I might. You know, you know what I think about? I think about the first guy that ate oysters. <laughs> Grok, Grok, this rock has snot in. Delicious. Must try. I don't know why he has basic language skills, but Grok is the smartest caveman. Uh, well, Grok is extremely suspicious. <laughs> it was that. It was a couple of guys who were best pals, right? And like, you, you eat this, I dare no, you. No, no, you, you. Was it dare? You, no, oh, no, you oh, go first. Oh, 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 I'll give oh. you the kelp. I'll give you the kelp if you oh, eat it. Okay, man. all right. <laughs> so, Phaedra, you had a really interesting... Uh, it's, I'm, I'm Eric, Eric Jensen. And I'm Phaedra Alcasey. We're doing a little bit of a bumper for our Bard Quest empire here. Yeah, and we, we, were, we were talking today because we, we, we don't get a chance to talk to each other a lot these days because we've had so many interesting guests on, but we were talking about, so about evil. For it. You're Whoa, excited. Yeah. 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 That's what we were talking about evil. So like what what do you what, what was your evil in a game, right? right. Like we were talking about like how do you handle evil in a game? And like for me it's always tricky when I even suspect that someone is playing an evil aligned or, or even chaotic neutral can be like problematic if you're trying to stick to your alignment, right? Like because right. you're like in with this murder hobo by association. <laughs> 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 a lot of the time and you're like i don't know he just needs to take his meds or whatever it is you tell your other members of the party but like right. when a character is like has evil motivations or is that even possible can you do that can you have a party a mixed alignment party i i think you can i i do not allow chaotic evil characters in my game unless i'm playing them because uh -huh. they can very quickly become just kind break of, things. Yeah, they just break things and it becomes unsafe and it's just like it's not it's not safe for the storytelling. Yeah, and if the people are being attacked from within. I mean, it's a sort of interesting monster in the house. I wonder if you could do like a D&D game that's kind of like a mafia style where like one character is like evil aligned but you don't know it and like yeah, yeah, they start yeah. murdering people. Oh, that's a good one. That yeah. we should try that sometime. Maybe we'll do. You know, but the then people would have to like not be attached to those characters. It's also oh like, yeah, kind yeah. of like has to be designed as a one-off, almost well, like a murder mystery. Well, that's that's what um, that's what one of our recent guests was talking about about um, characters changing over time, and that's a story, and that's yeah. the story I'm most familiar with. But then he said another thing about characters not changing over time, and that's a story, and that's a story too. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, you know, you know, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, Rick's nemesis, you know, main nemesis in The Walking Dead is a character who, you know, is a, any any means to an end is his kind of you know, yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, so evil, like handling evil in a game is hard. Warlocks. I, I struggle with it because like, I mean, it's a, it's a very cool concept, but I I'll, how do you even play a good warlock? If you're like alignment or if you're attachment or if you're getting your power, I guess you could play against your patron deity. But if you're serving your patron deity, how do you, you know, is it even possible to play a good one? They're always these like eldritch ancient beings that like don't care about humanity or maybe you can like bargain with them in some way i guess that's interesting but like it's also like yeah i mean it seems like there's always then two plots or two agendas in a party when i mean happening. i would encourage as a, as a dungeon master and how do you play with that have you played with that well I've, like, I've never played with that myself but as a dungeon master if i had a character who was going to come in and play a warlock i would in, i would encourage them to be at a point in their warlock life where they somehow feel compromised um by this by this by their 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 patron 
and and maybe that's why they got knocked down to first level. You know what I mean? Mm. Or I would uh, I would encourage them to say maybe they've got a different agenda that they're hiding from their patron and they're playing the game. I've loved know, the like the undercover. Imp- yeah, I've loved the uh, interpretations where someone's like, "Okay, my patron is just like really smothering. It's just like an elderly grandma, and it's just all <laughs> constantly trying to give me soup." And I'm like, "And, and, and pinch my cheeks." Oh, I'm, please come stop! On. Like, and, <laughs> you smell. Oh, weird. here you need an Eldritch Blast, honey. <laughs> no, no, your house smells like soup. Um, I like actually that brings me. This is a good segue. Yeah, to, I know you have something to talk about, which I have only heard about, but I have not amazing. delved deeply I don't know into. If you guys know if you've been on the internet this last week or so uh, this is probably going to come out later but this is november and the internet is a fire with noodle the pug and whether it's a bones day or a no bones day and apparently when it's a bones day you've got a lot of things that you can do and you've got all the energy in the world and you've just because noodle the pug i should preface is 13 years old so Aww. his owner uses him as an oracle like props him up and if he stands up it's a bones day and if he doesn't it flops down it's a no bones day and we've all had no bones days we all know what those are but we somebody... get up and nothing works and you're like nope staying in bed and like noodle the pug has given us license to have no bones days and to celebrate our bones days and someone actually made him somebody went out and... and made him a warlock patron noodle the pug this isn't this is the kind of warlock i'd want to play if uh, it's it's so cool let me just credit the person it's from dungeons and drimbus the account is at dungeons and it's at drimbus pod on twitter uh and it's uh from giancarlo herrera and uh hannah schooner uh you can find all that stuff on twitter and it's so amazing if if you have a, a bones day you you get a different sort of you roll randomly to determine whether it's a bones day or not and if you have a bones day you have a different set of spells than if you have a no bones day and like what hang on some of the no bones days spells are like flock of familiars pugs only <laughs> <laughs> calm emotions motivational speech like it's just this is genius just, see if know, i was if i was this is a really great use of creativity i love that someone's making well we have to world. thank dungeons and drimbus for that amazing uh, uh yeah amazing, nice shout out to, amazing to work actually D&D nerds in the community um and and to noodles owner for bringing some joy into the world oh uh, my god noodle the oracle dog um, you know, I, I think it's, I think as, as a DM, I would play that like, um, I would play that like, I would actually look at the actual noodle on the day. <laughs> just like determine. Yeah. And just say, okay, you know, you're rolling an advan- with advantage tonight, or I'm sorry. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're rolling at disadvantage. You're, you're, you're you know? rolling in a cozy blanket. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're exactly. You're sleeping. But then you you take away player agency when you're doing that a lot. You, you can't, you I, can't I actually look at it as, too much of that I look away. at it as applying applying player challenges yeah but if it's it's like not you have to give them a way to actually achieve the challenge too yes exactly well or maybe maybe all your stats flip and all oh, of that's a sudden, like, I mean, so you know, like maybe you have two character sheets. Yeah. When you used to be weak on Bones Days. Yeah, or exactly. That's, yeah. That's, that's very cool. That could I'd be fun. That. Yeah. You, you know, like a... those cards that used to flip over in Magic the Gathering. Well, look, we got a show coming up, so uh, we should stop talking about ourselves.
Welcome to Bard Quest Empire. Hi, Phaedrus. Good to have you here. Hey, Eric. Hey, guys. Hey, everyone. Welcome. Uh, we have a wonderful guest. Today, we have on the show a gentleman named Scott Gimple. Now, Scott works harder than just about anyone I've ever met and uh, uh, enjoys his job quite a bit because it is quite possibly one of the greatest jobs in the storytelling universe. Scott's title is, this is amazing, is Chief Content Officer of AMC's The Walking Dead Television Universe. He oversees the worldwide hits The Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead. He's also developing Walking Dead programs like Walking Dead The World Beyond. There's also some upcoming films coming up, the Rick Grimes film and other standalone series, and a bunch of projects on a variety of platforms. Now, Scott is going to be really interesting on the show today. He's been a showrunner, comic book writer, TV writer, screenwriter, creative partner, uh, and is a world, pe world builder that people deeply respect. I had the pleasure of working for Scott as an actor on season five of The Walking Dead. He gave me the greatest piece of writing advice I ever got. Scott also plays Dungeons and Dragons. Welcome, Scott Gimple. Oh my God! Well, I have to hear it. Um, what was the advice? Because I, I probably need it. <laughs> Don't judge as you write. Oh no, that one. I, that one I say weekly to people. Yeah, no, that okay. And, and to myself. Yeah. So good. No, yeah. No. I, I, I was deep. I was deep in the weeds on something, and I kept saying how bad it was. And I think I complained to you in an email, and you said, "Stop judging as you write." And I did, and it was like a. It was like a wake-up call. It was a good piece of advice. Oh, it's I can't imagine judging as you write like it. Just, I mean, I find myself doing it. And it's like, oh, that's what I've been doing for the past three hours. Right. Like, totally. And that's why something writing, isn't clicking or something isn't working. Right. Because you're not engaged in the, mech, you know, I mean, machine of generating when you're doing that, you're criticizing. Imagine if there was like a live feed of your writing on Twitter. <laughs> oh God! I mean, I, you'd never I, make it. Everybody's canceled. Just everybody stay home. <laughs> and we do that to ourselves. We do that to ourselves. I mean, uh, it's about rewriting. Um, yeah, right. Well, judging is the judging is a good muscle for a different time, really. I mean, yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Like yeah, the judge is in session. You know, like yeah, you you finish your draft, you put on your robe, you get your gavel, you get ready. But uh, but but first you got to do the crime. So um, guys, so, we are talking about storytelling, not some weird bedroom role play. Just doing that. <laughs> but uh, but Scott, I mean, no, I know. even weirder. I'm saying when you write a draft, <laughs> find a robe. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. So, Scott, you have one of the greatest jobs we can imagine. Would you, for our listeners, describe what one does as the chief content officer for the Walking Dead universe? Wow. Uh, I guess the first part is the easiest to explain, which is um, no one has ever done the job before, so I'll tell you how I do the job. Uh, there is no like, oh, this is what a chief content officer does. I don't even know if I had heard that phrase until I had uh, received the title. I mean, the closest I can think of is like Kevin Feige at MCU. That's that's yeah, that's but like close to like handling that, yeah. that much content. But I don't even. But Kev, I mean, he's that gentleman who I, I almost use his first name. Like I know I know him. No, I am a fan. I, I go to his movies uh, uh, or the movies he produces. He, you know, he has this huge staff, and you know this big organization that he's on top of this is you know we're this is amc it's a smaller situation the first part of my job is really just working with each individual showrunner or showrunners you know it, it's uh different roles on different shows angela and i have worked together so long angela kang is uh the showrunner of walking dead you know 
with her, we kick around creative stuff, but a lot of what I do is producing, is just helping her execute the dream and uh, supporting her in, in just figuring out how to make the shows. Sometimes there, I, I do go over cuts and I do over, go over scripts and in that part, there's creative conversations. Do you spend a lot of time in the writers' rooms? Not a ton, but I meet with each showrunner or showrunners every week um, for at least an hour. And that's our own little room, but uh, producing goes into that. With Fear the Walking Dead, you know, we sort of relaunched that show in season four, and so there was a lot more creative in that, in sort of putting together those new characters and charting that new direction. Um, over the years now, it's moved to that support of... and, and Producing is bananas. We have these huge casts. We shoot, you know, Fear in Texas. We shoot Walking Dead in Georgia. We shot World Beyond in Virginia. Wow. And I don't know. There's just this intersection of creativity and producing and having uh, having the experience of show running and writing that I think is just a unique sort of, sort of uh, support that I can give these folks. I mean, there is... There are pages I have written for each show, um, but also sometimes it's making 12 phone calls to make sure that that story piece gets executed, right? Um, mm -hmm. It's making sure we get the cast we need. It's making sure we get the time we need. Um, it's talking through problems with the showrunners. I definitely, as a showrunner, wanted to take the tact of support, of not, there are things that we are charting in the universe and I look out for and I try to connect and I am that sort of uh, hub of all those things. So you're taking care of all the continuity stuff, making sure everything connects to everything else, right? And charting things for the future, creating mythologies for the future. The CRM mythology, which is sort of connected all the shows, it's the Civic Republic military and the Civic Republic. Um, that was something that I started on Walking Dead with the idea of maybe this is something that could connect everything if, if, if my dreams come true. Um. <laughs> well, you know, the, uh, the term world building was first used in the Edinburgh Review in December 1820. It, was, uh, mm. uh, it appeared in Eddington Space and Time and Gravitation. Uh, it was about uh, general relativity. Um, it was to describe a science term, um, but it yes. was first used in terms of science fiction in fantasy criticism from R.A. Lupoff's Edgar Rice Burroughs' Master of Adventure. Um, in terms of the world-building job, you've mentioned the term showrunner a couple of times. Can you explain like, what the beginning of a writing season is for a showrunner? A showrunner, for those of you out there who don't know, is kind of like a, a person who oversees uh, a season of... I mean, it's more than that. Uh, sometimes it's showrunners like are creators, chef, sometimes are producers. storyteller, and dungeon master wrapped into one, really. Yeah. I mean, if you and wanna... and <laughs> it's, it's not an official term. I, I will say just to cover the others, that was like literally one-third of my job. Oh, wait, well, so uh, let's, let's, let's actually let's, go back. But, the rest but you know what? No, I'm segueing into what you're doing because actually <laughs> the other part of what I'm doing is world building. Is uh -huh. that right. the creation of those mythologies um, that connect everything, but also just give a pathway forward to story is a lot of what I do. And I'm developing all sorts of different Walking Dead things. Some may happen, some may not. Some may sit on a shelf for years and then suddenly pulled off the shelf. I heard a rumor of an all pets Walking Dead spinoff. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for Let's, it. 
There is uh, the, the gents on Fear and I. We went pretty far down the road road of uh, doing a Milo and Otis episode. I love that. Love featuring a, a couple of uh, animals that have been on the show. Uh, well, what I love about the show is that yes, it's about you know walkers, zombies, the undead in some way, but it's also so much more. Those guys feel like kind of a setting, and it's you use the this this framework to deal with a lot of other things of how to deal how to how these people exist in this post-apocalyptic universe uh, Absolutely. Can, can you speak more about that was that intentional was that the way you me meant to start out i've heard you say that there's you know always going to be zombie movies so we want to be in the zombie movie business but like it feels like it's yeah. more than that also well kirkman i mean i i gotta give robert kirkman so much credit i i mean i was a fan of the book i was a fan of the show i remember when i saw the poster appear on the bus shelter on my corner and i was like oh my god that's that's just like the comic <laughs> it's crazy that yeah. shot and um robert initially pitched the walking dead as a zombie movie that never ends but that really undersells what robert does robert created an entertainment that yes has such cool zombie stuff but you just care about the characters and it's and form dictates content so a monthly comic book or a television show demands that an audience connect with a character mm -hmm. and connect with, you know, maybe multiple characters. And to me, that is the reason The Walking Dead was and, and is successful is the characters and the relationships at the center of it. There's been a million zombie things. Right. There's like unbelievably great zombie stuff coming out today. But I think the reason The Walking Dead stays on top is, I mean, I'm, I'm basically giving away the secret sauce here. <laughs> well, that's kind of what this is said, about. Yeah. I mean, that's why we're, we're here. Edited. <laughs> it, it's, it's the characters. Like, like Greg Nicotero does an amazing job with the walkers. Mm -hmm. But, and, and, you know, they're in some ways unlike, you know, TV and movies have ever seen, especially when we mix digital and practical. But... I think Greg Nicotero has done an amazing job in directing actors into emotional and exciting and unbelievable yeah. moments. And th the reason that I cannot tweet anything without where's Rick Grimes is because it, that has nothing to do with zombies. That has right. everything to do with a character that people yeah. love. The trick that Robert Frank Darabont did, you know, together with that pilot, Robert did it in his first issue of the comic book. Frank expanded on it. They introduced two incredibly decent people, three if you count Dwayne, I don't mean to Morgan's son, in a, very, in a world that had become brutal and, and maybe even seemingly evil, just as far as, you know, he wakes up and he sees right. that all these people have been murdered. You know, he sees the bullet holes on the wall. He sees not just that the world has gone down and walkers have taken over, but that there's just over and over these these hints, big and small, of man's inhumanity to man. And yet these two people who find each other are incredibly decent and incredibly likable. And what a mix is that, where you just see the scope yeah. and horror of a Walker apocalypse. And then you see two people, man, I really like these guys. Man, they're really good guys. And then you're rooting for them and then you're in. Yeah, and, and then the trick with this is, oh man, I love these characters. They mean so much to me. They're making choices that I, I, I would face. And oh shit, they're, they're, they're handling it maybe the way I would or the way I hope I would or the hope I, I would never do it. I love these people, week to week, month to month in the comic. 
relationship building, just like I'm watching Cheers or Grey's Anatomy or 24, where it's, or Lost, where I love these people. But in our show, the stakes are very, very high. People die. Life, death, and undeath, even. Like that's, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, again, you know, comics and television, I think, are the perfect medium for zombie stories, which is the, the, the genius of Robert Kirkman, because the weight of everything that's happening is that much more pronounced. The relationship, you know, when Glenn died, when <laughs> Glenn was murdered, <laughs> yeah. he died. That was hard on, I mean, that, 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 that was the darkest, one of the darkest moments of the show, but. Yeah, Phaedra and I uh, reviewed that episode last night, actually, we watched such it. Such powerful, powerful Such work. incredible storytelling. was incredible. Oh, I mean, and the way you. that you, the way that the two men, were, the way that Rick was ground down through the episode. Yeah. Megan, yeah. You know, it, it reminded me a little bit of the relationship, the early relationship between two characters in Hell in the Pacific. That's a twofer. I don't know if you've ever see it, seen it, but I'm, I think it's it's Lee Marvin and I believe Tashira Mifune. Um, and um, they, uh, they're, they're on this island together. And it's just like the two of them. And it's like the, the two of them just try to destroy each other emotionally. It's, a, it's an incredible, I mean. Well, it's funny where I go because uh-huh. my, because uh, I'm a Philistine. Uh-huh. I go to like oh like enemy mine. Uh huh. Enemy, right. enemy uh-huh. mine. Yeah. Well, the basis for enemy enemy mine, I actually believe, was this movie. But yeah, I, enemy, I, enemy mine. Yeah. It's something just, like locked in the back of my head. Yeah, right? definitely. I, but th- but I just think the weight uh, of eight years of a character, or seven years of a character, it's like the stakes for the audience are high. And the thing that I wrestle with, I, I'm, I'm really proud of the things we've we've done, but it, it's hard on an audience. And that's so strange as an entertainment where it's like, oh, this is gonna devastate an audience. This is gonna be terrible for them. This is gonna, but in my mind, I feel the audience is taking the journey too. And I want, I want to see the audience go on the, the hero's journey. I want to well, see them yeah. actually have dark times, but I want them to be the heroes of the story and they need obstacles too and they need tragedies too and they need to grow too. Well, that's just, I was just gonna say, a lot of this, a lot of this happened at the same time, right? I, I kind of associate The Walking Dead with one of those shows where like your favorites aren't safe. It, I mean, that's, that to me is one of the most beautiful and one of the most ugly parts of the show because everything has meaning. And um, Lauren Cohan, who plays Maggie, has always talked about that because however bulletproof she seems, uh, nobody's bulletproof on the show. And she has always just faced it as it makes every day she works on the show that much more precious, which I suppose is how we should be thinking about life. Yeah, I mean, especially now, I mean, you know, coming through the time that we've 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 come through and there's more of it to come, it seems. Now, I have a question that mm-hmm. seems unrelated, but it is related. I would like to know, because I found out through one of our uh, numerous e- email exchanges that you actually played Dungeons and Dragons. Would you oh, share with us your yeah. your Dungeons and Dragons origin story? Like, how did you come to play D&D at, at a time in your life? Do you know what's so weird? Because I was just thinking about it and... My D and D life is, uh, I think it, it was it was it was cut short. It was it was a little too sh- brief. Even though I've been, I mean, I have uh, you know the Monster Manual 
in my, you know, among my yeah. books and, and uh, the player's guide, but these are like the old hardbound ones. And I have an older brother, so that I think aged me up a little bit. And by my reckoning, like it was fourth and fifth grade, which blows me away when I think about wow. it. That's early. Like how, yeah, how young I was. And I played with my brothers a lot. And then we had some friends. And I, it's funny, I was really into The Hobbit, that mm -hmm. um, the Rankin-Bass Hobbit. Like like the book, but the cartoon, the movie the cartoon. that came out. Yeah, yeah. And, and I yeah. loved that. And I had the record, like which yeah, was I, a story soundtrack. That. Story I soundtrack. had that record. Yeah. I had the same yeah. exact record. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And I just listened to it over and over. So there was there was that sort of baked in. I'm trying to think of like the the cartoon, the CBS oh, yeah. the Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, but yes, definitely. Actually, I think it was probably maybe even a little after I started, but like a year or two. But I just remember playing, and we were we would play sloppy basic. I mean, we were fourth and fifth grade, and you know, like there was the devil um, monster character Asmodeus. Is it right. Asmodeus? I but think so. like, we can't but actually there, say it properly or else we'll summon him, but yeah. <laughs> well, but that, that, no, but that's where I'm going to is like, as kids, we were so, it, we were so fascinated with the Candyman of it. Mm -hmm. Like, basically, when somebody would get pissed off, they would just say, if you say his name, he comes. So oh, they God. would say his name and we'd all get killed. It was like a rage. It was a rage quit. And I remember it was we, throwing the controller against yeah. the Nintendo. It was like, fuck you. Yeah, it's like, don't say it, man. Do not say it. And, oh, uh, that's amazing. I remember we had these, um, uh, this family across the way from that were just from South Africa. And we would play with them a lot. And they just had this one term that stuck in my brain. Uh, the older brother did. He was he was maybe in eighth grade or something. If the dungeon master called it that, like, oh, you got like you know a hundred thousand gold pieces or something, you go, oh, that's Monty Hall. That's just Monty <laughs> Hall, man. And I didn't know who Monty Hall was, but like that became like a D and D term. It was like a criticism of the dungeon master. I have my old character sheets somewhere. I have my like grid nice. paper. And and I remember. Did you like, DM as well, or did you just play, I, or both? I did, but I'm trying to think. Like, what on earth was that like? The fourth or fifth grader DMing. I mean, um, sounds pretty imaginative. Actually. We, <laughs> like I mean, yeah, we would get into the drama, the drama of it, and you know, I mean, we played with dice. It wasn't like a, just a free for all, mm -hmm. but um, there were rules. We're not crazy. Yeah. Come on, we. Oh had no, structure. but it was basic, and we were just flipping through the book, and yeah, and and. You know, now older, I, I realize like, wow, it's a lot more mathematical than what we were playing. Um, just as far as with dice and as far as, you know, the bonuses and calculating it all out. But we moved from Iowa to New Jersey and essentially there just wasn't, I still played with my brothers, but especially maybe till like early high school, it, it's just, I think there just wasn't there wasn't enough. There weren't as many geek it, yeah. pop. Yeah, there wasn't like yeah. a much of a geek population, and well, the community was the, the community was harder to find then. I mean, we I think were we, all. I think you know, we came closeted. up around the same yeah. time. Yeah, no, I was definitely you know in search of that community and would sort of find it in, in odd places. And I really would like to get into some nuts and bolts of how you, because uh, I think for dungeon masters who listen to this game and stuff like that, in terms of world building, you said a lot about centering it in character. Yeah. But, you know, as a, as a world builder, how do you keep the characters moving through a story? How do you mm. 
keep it keep us wanting to go forward mm, I mean I, I mean as far as Dungeons and Dragon, Dragons go it's 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 sort of there's a real zen that has zen in storytelling that has to go to it because you don't control a lot of the characters you control right. the you know the the NPCs but you don't control the people that go through it so it's it's I can only speak to just storytelling and the challenges that face a character should should hone that character should I mean this is all just like the hero's journey Joseph Campbell is just like the obstacles should make the character grow and ultimately make the character change or for all of the things that they go through not change that's a story too uh, I will say that you know this is just my own belief Certainly a lot of people believe in that too, and certainly every society on the face of the earth, as Joseph Campbell has, has uh, documented, you know, believes in the hero's journey, the heroine's journey. And ultimately, I believe stories are about whether a character changes or not, and it's the obstacles that you put in their way that, that ultimately make them who they are. Sometimes those obstacles are people, sometimes those obstacles are situations. They could be environments, they could be themselves. Would you say they have to be able to achieve those up uh, those goals, or is it that just sort of perpetually thwarted it? Um, or is it in the trying? Maybe. Yeah, it's like. I mean, the, I mean, different, it's it's different stories. Yeah, I mean, when I think about Rick Grimes, I think about a man out of time, right? Almost like a Rip Van Winkle element, like he's struggling to get a world back that doesn't exist anymore. I mean, and I'm just riffing here. And then the world changed him. And then the world and then the changed, world changed so. him. But. On The Walking Dead, that's the thing. Anybody who's there has to go through a pretty big change. Yeah. Who are they going to be in this new world? I think uh, there is, though, a responsibility to make those obstacles interesting and intriguing and cool and just pure creativity. It's just how can you connect them to the character? Um, how can you make those obstacles specific to that character? You know, with Rick, it was, you know, this decent person facing a world where he could no longer be decent um, and then finds his way back to it. Um, you know, Carol was somebody I worked on quite a bit on the show. Um, there was early on, you know, there was there was, the tide was going towards having that character meet her end. But to me, I was my argument was just what a story of change that we could tell, you know, um, somebody who had been a victim becoming one of the strongest heroes on the show was a story I wanted to tell more than anything. And, and I was lucky to be able to tell it. There are characters like the governor who you might have hints of, of who he was and that the world has now formed him in a way that he is you know, partially insane and partially evil. But, but you know, then you go to the, I mean, the Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. you know, alignment. You use the alignment chart, yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's I mean, I was trying to, I was thinking about alignments in Walking Dead the other day, and I was like, oh, my God, they're always, they're shifting, always, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. But, you know, whatever, I mean, I mean, initially you're in a world sort of without rules or form because they're wandering and they, they don't encounter a lot of communities right away. So in terms right. of the a lot law, of the stuff like law and you know yeah. good and neutral based on like 
the social contract and like if there's no society to speak of how do you set that stuff up but they are also holding on to who they were right so there's like i mean yeah you know now that we're so deep into it <laughs> i think everybody has moved on you yeah. know what i mean uh-huh. but but so much of the first even four years i would say five years was about yeah how can we hold on do you borrow from the DN? Do you think about alignment charts? Do you think about like you when you're what? doing world building? Do you do so? When I there, when I think about like the wolves and some of that controlling yeah. a horde of zombies, it has some necromancy elements to it. And I'm like, oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Negan I mean, describing Lucille as a vampire. I'm like, I want to stat that weapon. How do I do that? <laughs> <What> I, <laughs> I mean, uh, there have been times that we've you know, cracked out, you know, you go online and you just look at the alignments just to think about it. It's a great exercise. Yeah, it's one of our favorite games. Just in-house It's a great too. point of argument and discussion. Yeah, it's, it's tricky to be like, you know, what exactly is lawful good in the Walking Dead universe? Right. You know, like what, what on earth does that mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about it a little bit. I will say, actually, okay, this is just a straight up story. I mean, I've been frustrated. I've been wanting to play Dungeons and Dragons. I was lucky to play it <laughs> like um, a few years ago with, it was a crazy group of people. Like who? Like who? Tell us, Can yeah. you say? Well, Can you? De- well, you I don't think she would mind. Deborah Wall. I don't know if you know the actor uh-huh, Deborah sure. Wall. She is an unbelievable showrunner and she's a friend and she's married to a very good friend. And I believe it was Steven, Steven Young. Oh, brilliant. Wow. Uh, Sonequa Martin-Green and Kenrick Green. Uh, Sonequa played Sasha, and she's a starship, a starfleet. I'm all grins with this, uh, yeah, it's great. And then, uh, <laughs> and then my friend David Goyer. So it was just like, and it was just one night. It was just one night, uh, which is not enough the time to no, do it. Right? But okay, that was fun. But I'm actually, so that was the one time I've been able to play. And by the way, I bought. I can't even remember the name of the company, but there was this company that made gaming tables and they were at Comic-Con oh. for years and years and years. I can't remember the name of it. They went out of business. Like a dedicated gaming table. Like oh, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Where, you, where, yeah. where you put it down and, and I loved it. And I was like, this is, I'm going to figure out a way one night a week to play Dungeons and Dragons. And I, I ordered the table See, and I that's waited the issue. a year. Too ambitious. One night a week, right off the bat, you're starting off with oh, no. like crank right away. You need to like and, pace yourself. And, no, and I bought this table and, and, and it's in a room of my house. And I just, I just fantasized about it. And I've not played one game on it because I work nearly every night of the week. And right. I have a family. So if I'm not working, I really want that family to know my name. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, but I will say at, at a Comic Con years ago, I tried again. Now there's a game called Dread. Now it's even easier. It's role playing game. You have Jenga set up. <laughs> oh my god! And I'm 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 murdering it. But basically, like, oh, I'm gonna do this difficult thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna take my sword and try and kill this monster. Or I'm gonna make this jump. You pull one of the Jenga things. If you do it, you you accomplish you that thing. The thing so right. I wrote up this big story about this town that had flooded and strange energies going about, and I brought it to Comic Con. So it's just Jenga and my little written up stuff. It is Andy Lincoln, 
It is John Bernthal. It's Steven. (laughs) It's Christian. (laughs) I can't remember. Maybe Sarah Wayne Kelly's. I can't remember. And and it went so wrong so fast. Oh, my God. Because, like, and it was back in fourth grade. I was back in fourth grade where, like, Bernthal's, like, like like somebody's calling for help. They go in and shots are fired at them. And uh, the woman's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't know who it was. He's like, why are we getting her? Why she just took shots at us? Why are we Why are we dealing with this? Let's move on. Like, <laughs> I, like I have Shane right here. I have Andy, who's just bewildered by the whole thing. <laughs> Stephen, who's trying to be a source of support for me. Right. Yeah. Christian, who's bewildered. Trying to be the adults um, in, the, in the party. We got it going, but it it fell apart. I'd probably say in about forty minutes. Those were my two big over the past eight years. My two wow. big. Uh, uh, dives into getting back into gaming, you know, tabletop gaming. Uh, and the table's still downstairs, so it haunts me every day. Well, maybe someday we can get a, a charity thing together or something like that. Oh, my God. Get some my dream. Do a Zoom one-off. Yeah. We'll put it on my there. dream. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. totally. Like, I mean, a, it's exploded in popularity yeah. since the pandemic. I, well, that, I don't know if I, you've noticed. There's something I have about... a lot of resentment. A lot of resentment. <laughs> Because, because again, you, you've, like, you've had to like hold it until now. Is that why? Yeah, like I'm still dreaming about this. It, it's been set aside in college. And I went to film school. You would right. think that there was like D and D folks. No, really? No, no they were there just were afraid none. to admit it. They just, I'm sure there were. There's, they would have been great at it, but no, yeah. no. So, yeah, and then Meltdown Comics. What's one I, of my? I, that's my favorite comic book store. That Golden Apple, but Meltdown is one of my favorites. Well, I, I have bad news for you. Oh, no, oh no, no, is it gone? Yeah, yeah. Oh man, oh that breaks and my heart. Unbelievable comedy space yeah. in the back, but they would do. Oh um, wait, is that where Cornell would? You yeah, know? they they did. They had like a serious gaming community there, and I was like, you know, one day, I'm gonna go in. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna be brave. Because uh, who knows what shots could be taken, but I'm going to do it. And and I was in there a lot um, because of comedy stuff. And uh, I never, I, I was brave enough to participate in some of the comedy stuff. I was not, which in and of itself takes Irony. bravery. Uh, but I was not brave enough to do this, to, the, to do D&D. So, yeah, this is, it's a, I think one of the roughest things about showrunning or chief content officering is how little time it gives you to give to the stuff that brought you to it in the first place. That's um, a great way whether, of putting it. Whether it's reading comics, watching movies, playing D&D, playing video games. Uh, I'm very lucky in a million different ways to have a son. So now... This, Do you this feel like in introducing him to this that maybe you might get a kind of a re-engagement or is he too young for it? I don't know how old he's. Uh, he's too young for it. Yeah, he's he's, he's six, but uh, soon. Oh, Eric's yeah. going through that right now. Actually, Eric's yeah. doing yeah, that. Yeah, my right daughter's now. It's fun. my daughter's uh, uh, eleven. It's fun to watch her ask about it, but like, eh, I'm still too cool to play. Uncle well, Pager, she just but like <laughs> she just informed me that she joined D and D club at school. I mean, like oh. when I was at school during the Satanic Panic, they were trying to get rid of it. <laughs> no, that, yeah, that same with me. That was the other thing. Maybe that was it. Maybe that drove it down. But that's. I'm were, sure it got internalized for a lot of people in that way. I mean, even that. What's yeah. that? 
a store that was in malls. Was it Magic Workshop or something? The Games Magic Workshop? Gathering? Games Game, Workshop? Games Workshop. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I would just sit there and dream. Remember malls? Of, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I. You know what? I hope malls will be the vinyl of retail. Uh, yeah. That would oh, be that nice. They'll just be like around like indie Indie yeah, malls, maybe maybe they'll be essentially museums of the past, but maybe coming out of the pandemic, people are like, you know what? I'd like to walk around with an orange orange Julius. And yeah, I miss an orange Julius and a hot topic. Yeah. <laughs> let's, go, let's go get some earrings and yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> now, one of your one of your jobs, Scott, at Walking Dead is the introduction and creation of new characters, which Dungeons yeah. and Dragons players do all the time. When you're thinking about introducing or creating a new character, what are some questions that you ask yourself uh, in terms of bringing them into the Walking Dead world? Some of them are obviously are from the comics, but some you guys make make on your own. Like, what what are the what are the questions that are at hand when introducing a, a new character? What's a journey we haven't seen before? What's a point of view we haven't seen before? Sometimes it does. It shouldn't be the only thing, but what? I mean, there is that twelve-year-old kid inside yourself, which is just like, what's cool. Um, right on. Yeah, yeah you can't there. just do that, but you also <laughs> cannot not do that. Um, what's a way to explore, I don't know, just stories we haven't seen before? And, and you know, it, it's tough. You know, I work with a lot of people. I'm, you know, again, another third of my job is development, and, uh-huh. which is, uh, like, Development hell is not like a cheeky term. Like it's like it's real. Yeah. Were you a horror fan? Did you grow up on George Romero and stuff, or were you, or was that not a not your not in your? It was. You know what? It was. It was there. It wasn't my primary focus. My primary focus, full stop, was comics. Uh huh. And and uh, that my uh, uh, the the origin story is that we all kind of share some of that a little bit. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we have uh, we, we we have comic authors here that are yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I think we do. Yeah, I, I wanted yeah. to be an thank illustrator. You. Thank you, thank you for point. saying I that. I thought I was going to be a penciler, and this guy <laughs> wrote a comic book, and yeah. So yeah, yeah. Scott's we, one of the first. Know, Scott's one of the first people I sent my comic book to, and it's so. good stuff. Thank I, you, uh, sir. It's, appreciate uh, it. Although we're looking back, what season five? It was a little while ago. Yeah, it was a while uh, ago. Some of it's dated. Uh, you know, I could I, I could do a redo. Oh, that was not a criticism. That was that was a, men- that was a mention of my memory. Okay. What, what I'm all, saying is, though, all rise for the judge. No. <laughs> get my robe. Um, That's a callback, kids. If you don't know, when I when I was, um, I think let's 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 call it a grade. I was uh, end of fifth grade, beginning of sixth grade. That's when I discovered comics and like. Which ones? What was your what was your jam? Like X Men or New Mutants or, or You know what's you know what's Marvel DC. It's probably the tragedy of my not I shouldn't say it like that. The pop culture tragedy of my life, I'll say that. Is my younger brother and I, my younger brother's about a year and a half younger than me, for whatever reason, we we made a hard demarcation. I could only collect DC. What? And, oh my and God. he could only collect Marvel. I have no idea. Battle lines drawn. Shots yeah, fired. I know. Why? I Why did this d- happen? That's amazing. Well, and and but then Secret Wars came out, and it just sort of like broke the dam because I was like, no, I'm not missing out on that. Whatever, yeah. man. And then he sort of fell out. I think fell out of it, and I, and you know, the yeah. the, the wall came down, but. 
but it was weird. My first few years, like all DC, and yeah, it's a it. It was a so pretty, was it what, what were your DC go tos? Was it Batman, Superman, or was it uh, was it Justice Society or Justice League, or was it everything? Or I mean, it was everything, and I was very lucky that when I guess it's eighty six came along uh-huh. with uh, Dark Knight Returns, yeah. and Watchmen, and we're talking like Swamp Thing, yeah, for Alan, Alan Moore, yeah. which Alan I think was John actually Constantine, a little earlier Hellblazer, than that. Was that? Hellblazer a little bit of that. Then. Yeah. I mean, I was totally into John Constantine within the Swamp Thing book. Right. And, uh-huh. and, uh, the Teen Titans were hot around that time. Oh, too. no. I was yeah. huge. I find you both know, the Judas contract. Do certain oh, my well. God. The Judas yeah. contract is such oh, a yeah. good run. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I was, this was a good time to be mm-hmm. into DC books, but to just have, that was just like, it was like not eating vegetables. It was like such a part of my diet was missing. And I even look at things sometimes like, man, if, if I was reading Marvel then, how much further would I be along as, wow. as some sort Amazing. of artist, as some sort of writer? <laughs> could, you, because... could I get you to call my parents and say that? Yeah. <laughs> I might. I, yeah, tell, you know, at least an email. But, yeah, uh, right. There was a. I don't even know what the point was to that, but there you know, was. But, well, I mean, I think we're talking about sort of early influences and and and. Oh, there you go. And how yeah, you started with writing. It was it was comics and. And you like, wrote for comic books, correct? How did the, how did you find your way to that? Can oh, you, that was that was what I was going to say. My okay, fifth sixth grade, I made a decision. I was like, okay, cool. I know what I'm going to do, and it's such a weirdly pragmatic thing for like uh, a sixth grader, twelve year old. But I was right like, now. I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to work really hard to somehow get an internship at one of these places. And then if I work really hard, I'll become an assistant editor. And then when I beco- if I work really, really hard, I'll become an editor. And then maybe I can become a comic book writer, which is what I wanted to do in the first place, but I can wow. work at home. And now that I'm working at home, oh, wow. Actually, to tell you the truth, I'll even say the embarrassing thing, which is no longer embarrassing. It's like, cool, I could live in like a decked out van. This is sixth grade. Which people, which people are now doing. People so now do it for $80,000. Yeah. $80, so, yeah. yeah. And, and I can start writing TV and movies while I have hopefully a monthly book or two. Like, that was my whole plan. That's really and I stuck, I stuck to it the entire time. And really, um, the only. It, like TV High and movies. score the sixth grader. This is like or smart kid. Or I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll give him. I mean, I've been following his lead my entire life, but I will say, um, like TV and film, like I accomplished that easier than comics, and I still would love to do a monthly book, and I've wow. not done that. Like I look at Robert Kirkman, I'm like, oh man, like he he got the memo so much harder than I did. Right. Like. And I'm a beneficiary of him following that himself. But I, I, I literally have done a comic book movie. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, but I have Before not Before you've done, done the comic book. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I did, I did a Punisher limited series. I did um, comics for Simpsons Comics. And I created an original comic. Uh, for Matt Groening's company, this is years and years for ago. Bongo, Bongo, Bongo comics. Bongo yeah. comics. I have a yeah. few Bongo yeah. comics on my shelf. Yeah, it so was. I. Yeah, I am so lucky. And then you you did to, one with Kirkman too, right? Yeah, we do die die die, 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 which yeah. is which Kirk, Kirkman does uh, like the lion's share of work because 
I'm working on all these television programs, but we get together and sort of plot them out and get ideas together. And then Robert <sighs> goes bananas on those ideas and improves on them like 400%. Um, but uh, yeah, that book coming out has been both one of the joys and one of the frustrations because even Robert wanted me to work on it more. And uh -huh. I, I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm doing your TV shows. <laughs> well, I mean, like, look, I mean, I'm the doing fact three of, of your the, TV shows. The fact of the matter, though, is, you know. is inter interfacing with different artists is not unlike interfacing with. I have a, I have a week, a monthly now Dungeons and Dragons game that that I'm the the game master for. Uh, Phaedra's uh, one of the players, and nice. and there are there are things that are conducive to a good writer's room, just like there are things that are conducive to a good Dungeons and Dragons game. As a as a person who interfaces with a lot of artists. Who have different ideas and stuff like that? What's your? Do you have a philosophy on how to interface with different artists uh, who might have different needs and a different rhythm than you? Are you are you always leaning into the yes with people, or is it is it more oh, complex yeah. than that? Um, I mean that's like my primary job, and I will say, I love just writing on my own. Like that's my favorite, and I don't get to do that that often currently. I, I think that'll ramp up, but. No, what I'm doing is working with writers all the time, whether they're showrunners, whether they're people developing stuff within the universe, even even some things outside the universe that I'm working on. Um, there are co-writes that I do. I'm working on with Angela Kang. There's something I'm working on with Seth Hoffman. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Co-created World Beyond with Matt Negretti. Like, that's fun. When somebody's gonna be the showrunner of a show, I support. Um, I look upon myself as like playing in the band. Um, I do think that shows, TV shows, should have a very strong showrunner at the center of it who knows the story they want to tell, who isn't just coming into the room going like, hey, what are we doing? Like, I think they should have a good idea of what the season should be before the writers come in the room. I think they should have episode ideas ready already. I think they should be driving the ball. Uh, in my mind, I think because of how television is, because of all the different voices, one or two primary voices with a real idea of what the story is going to be told and the story values that the, uh, the show has, I believe that's critical. But I put a big asterisk on it because I know that great shows are not necessarily done that way. Uh, show running in and of itself is a very... There's no defined way to do it. And I mean, and even Marvel, you know, they don't have showrunners. They bifurcate vision. Right. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, hey, it's, you know, they have the For those that quote know. unquote head writer, and then they have the director who has a much uh, bigger seat at the table, frankly, on those shows. And then the executives have a very big seat at the table. And they're also seeding stuff throughout all of those projects in different ways, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, as far as I know... Do you find I mean, yourself doing that? Are you spinning plates for the Rick Grimes movie and the the upcoming series coming up? Or, or oh, are yeah. these connected to the, the stuff that's coming out soon? Or are they in a separate universe in a I different mean, timeline? It, not everything we're doing is like totally deeply connected, but a lot of it is. Yet, even then, we want a lot of difference between these shows. When I was a producer, supervising producer, 
producer before that, even a, just a staff writer. Uh, I'm naming all these crazy, like, they yeah. break down writers in all these different designations. Into different categories. Like executive sure, story yeah. editor. But basically, before I was making the decisions even, I would seed things in, but it was only just, like, hopeful. Like, it was like, oh, I hope I can tell a story that I'm sort of referring to here. Or... Um, that that character has a bigger role moving forward or I mean even back in the day I did this episode clear uh, for Walking Dead when I was uh, you know not the showrunner and I didn't want to force the issue at all or I didn't want to drag the room towards a story that I wanted to tell but in the same respect I wanted to plant some seeds because I felt it was going that way which was the Rick Michonne romance like I wrote the scenes that they had and the way that they came together in a way that at the very least felt intimate. Yeah. And so you sort of left I'll some room for someone else to pick up yeah. that, that hint. Maybe I'll be able to tell that story. And it, it turned out that I did, but there's all sorts of things on all sorts of shows along the way that I've done that. I think there's a level of fan fiction that you have to have where it's like I'm doing this because I enjoy it and I'm dreaming yeah. and you know I hope this happens maybe this way or that way but who cares I'm just going to dream about it right now on the page and uh, it's not going to take it's away brilliant. from anything I love it yeah oh, okay. you, well you've can't, manifested I mean, all the stuff that you've you can't told us about today so, yeah. take away from, I have I have, uh, I have some silly questions yeah. Phaedra and I have too. an ongoing discussion about um, Rick, and we both think he's a paladin. Are we accurate in our assessment that Rick may, in <laughs> fact, be a paladin, or do you set the internet on fire by inferring anything like that? There's also uh, uh, all kinds of people who have, you know, statted all the <laughs> the Walking Dead characters. <laughs> no, no, I've seen I've seen that. I've seen the uh, the character alignments. Um, before I go shooting my mouth off about his supposed paladin status i would have to go back crack the books right and go over all the classes again and really soak it up because it's been a while <laughs> so let me ask you this then if you could play D D right now with anyone past present future celebrity or just who would it be if you could have a, if you could you have know, your dream uh, table in front of you like and would you be I, I, I think i had the opportunity to i think i had the opportunity to do this but this isn't even like prime D and D, like by the book D and D. But there was a podcast that I listened to a long time, which was Harmontown, which was Dan oh, Harmon's I love that. Yeah, yeah, when he played D and D live on stage. And I, I, believe, right? I know Dan. I've known him for years. And his who the person you should have on this show is Spencer Crittenden, who is his uh, this dungeon master. Who one day in the crowd at Meltdown, it's like, hey, is there a dungeon master in the crowd? Can we? <laughs> <laughs> he, he raises his hand and he goes on to be the dungeon master of their game for hundreds of episodes, but then becomes really good friends with Dan and uh, Jeff Davis there. And uh, actually, they've done a TV show together of playing Dungeons and Dragons, uh, which I think it was called Harmon Quest. Would watch. It was yes. on. Yeah. It was on. Uh, what was that? It was like a comedy Com exclusive channel, I think. I don't remember. Yes, it was the one that NBC had that it's almost embarrassing that I can't remember the name of it, but it was their web comedy. It's going to light the world on fire. It was pre-Quibi, post-Funnier Die. Quibi or Quibi? I'm, yeah, I won't turn <laughs> it around I mean, on it, that. Oh, qu quick bites. I mean, it's it was part of the vernacular in Hollywood for a hot minute. 
Uh, Scott Ackerman had a show in there called CISO. But CISO? CISO. Wow. <laughs> History just gets forgotten and we're doomed to repeat it. <laughs> Do you have uh, anything you would like to plug? Do you want to plug uh, Walking Dead World Beyond or any of the new pro- oh. many new projects? Yeah, could you, you tell have us? I actually up? haven't watched World Beyond yet at all. Can you tell us about Walking Dead World Beyond? Because it's is it is it is it has is it, it on yet? Has it, has has it, it started? Not only has the first season been on, uh, the second season is coming up in October. Okay. Um, but you know why it would be good to watch is that show. A huge part of it is world building is um, expanding upon this mythology that we've seen on both shows, having the to do CRM with the Pacific Republic. Universe, yeah. right. and, and even beyond the, again, no pun intended, beyond the CRM. Um, well, that's a show about these, uh, these young people who were in a place of safety um, in Nebraska, uh, this campus colony, whose father went away on a science exchange I mean, I know this all sounds crazy with uh, this to this very big, very secretive community known as the Civic Republic. And they start to receive messages that he's in trouble. And so they opt to leave this place of safety to go to him, to find him. And that that's the first season. Wow. It's it's. Right there, a bit of a hero's journey. Well, I mean, yeah. search for the father. I mean, it's it's, exa- yeah, exactly. it's exactly that. The heroes leave town. The stranger comes to town. Basically, it's it, it's young people, which is very different for The Walking Dead. It's a very different type of story, but it it really fills out this mythology that has been hovering around the other two shows um, for years and years and years. And then this year, it's it goes even deeper into that mythology, and we see an old character that got caught up in it. Uh, actually, I can say who it is. I forgot. Uh, we've we've released uh, a trailer with her as uh, Jadis, who was the person who left with Rick sure. on the wow. helicopter. Wow! Excellent. Uh, we are not going to see Rick. There's no okay. way we're seeing Rick. But the fact that Jadis is there, there are little hints about things that might have happened. Um, but that show, yeah, that's been a joy. It's it's been a challenge just because it's so different. But that was the reason to do it, was that it was so different. Um, and then Fear was also starting in October. It has turned into, I think, the most experimental and sort of crazy arm of the universe as far as the stories that we tell. The way that we tell them, it's a very much anthological storytelling. It's, it's wonderful to work on all these different these shows because all these shows are so different. And to support these showrunners and, and to help them sort of craft their vision and, and execute it. and. Walking Dead is on right now. We're beginning, yep. you know, you know, sort of a long goodbye. It's it's 24 episodes this season. Wow. So, yeah. And it's the last so it's final season, right? Last season, but we're we're here a while. But you also have so some other projects coming up after that. Oh gosh. Up. Yeah, well, Daryl and Carol is a show that we've talked about. So, right. Right. Um, we're working on that and it's tricky to talk about that one just because we don't want to get ahead of The Walking Dead. We didn't right. even necessarily wanted to tell people about it, but we're working on it. People well, presumably they it, so. survive. It's not like you're going to do a show about walkers, right? That's you yeah, never know. That might be interesting. Well, maybe, maybe <laughs> one of them, maybe two of them. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're like both an, 12 in it. Like an odd couple. Just oh, sort a of a Wonder Years yeah. situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, I can't think 
you enough for taking time out of your very busy schedule. It is so good to see you again. So good to see you Wonderful healthy and, see and happy. You. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you're not, you know, you're not still up in that hospital with those marvelous paintings <laughs> and that gr- those great records. Too. Like no, but I mean, you made you made one of my one of my lifetime dreams come true. I have a Topps baseball card now, which is something that I always wanted. Actually, I have to ask one more question, and I'm not sure if yeah. it's going to make it onto the show, but I have to ask about the Breaking sure. Dead hypothesis. The Breaking Dead hypothesis. And you heard of this? Have a comment. And this, the if for those that don't know, it's the people have posited on the internet. Some fan fiction is going around that the reason the zombie apocalypse, the Walker apocalypse, started, is because of Walter White's Breaking Bad meth, or someone (laughs) Uh, tried to simulate it. You know uh, what? Uh, We're getting a lot of like. uh, I mean, I will say the meth has been on the show. It has, and it's the same meth. meth. You've confirmed canon. yeah. It, the the same meth has been on the show. Leave it, so, playing it close to the vest. So, respect game, oh god, that's game. that's my brand. <laughs> is close to the vest. It's not even a vest live. anymore. It's just in your skin. That's weird. Well, right, yes. uh, thanks thanks a lot, Scott, for joining us today. Oh we, no, this was I I feel I yammered and yammered and yammered, but it's so wonderful to see people. Yeah, just it really is. It really and, is. And I can't wait to hear it. And and. By God, someday, someday, let us someday. play. Someday. Yeah, let us play. Let us play. Well, maybe this will be the, the genesis for something. So. I, that would make me very, very happy. All right. So. We'll be in touch. Thanks again, Scott. All right. Cool. Great, guys. This episode's most D&D song ever is Sakar Chase by the Thor Ragnarok soundtrack. You can check that out on our Spotify playlist. You can find us on Instagram at bardquest underscore empire and on Twitter at bardquest E. E is for empire. Bardquest Empire is produced by Bang Intero Bang and Zach Murphy. Executive produced by Jessica Blank. Theme song by Tasha Blank. Sound effects provided by Darren West. I'm Eric Jensen. And I'm Phaedra L. Casey. Thank you for joining us at... Bard Quest Empire. Why are you slowing down? <laughs> I'm trying to match your lips over the Zoom. No, you don't do the remote Zoom is interviews delayed. very often. You don't do this. <laughs> <laughs>